Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast on CTRography, current concepts with a focus on 3D imaging. And uh, I'm dictating this, uh, or I'm doing this vodcast at the very, very end of 2008. This will be our first vodcast of 2009. So, 2009 should be another incredible series of vodcasts. I think we're going into our fourth year or so. We've had well over 200 vodcasts, so we'll be hitting 300 plus this year. Again, any questions, suggestions, ideas, let us know. All right, let's get started here. CTRography is one of the really hot areas in imaging these days. It's something we get lots of questions about on CTSS, Ask the Fish. It's something I get lots of questions about when we lecture on the topic at many of our courses, and it's one of the most popular topics, in fact, these courses. Now, one of the things we all recognize is so much of how CTRography is done and its success depends on protocols. Now, in general, what is our renal protocol? And there are some variations to this depending on patient's age, depending on the clinical application. But we always talk about multiple phases, and of course here I left out the non-contrast study on purpose, but these are all the post-contrast phases. And we do always make the point that the delayed phase imaging is very critical. However you do your arterial or venous phase imaging, whether you do both, whether you do one or the other, delayed phase imaging is critical because there are many pathologies that are only seen on delayed phase imaging. And CTRography, by definition, is indeed delayed phase imaging. Now you can argue, should you wait four minutes, five minutes, or eight minutes? And there's some difference in opinion there, but We'll go through that, but again, it becomes a critical part of every CT examination. Just a couple of reminders. When we do CT, we're only using either Omnipeg or Visipeg. We're injecting ideally at 4 cc's a second, uh, typically 100 to 120 cc's, never more than 120 cc's of what we use. And as I mentioned, in terms of protocols, we always are concerned about radiation dose. And so, for example, on the non-contrast scans or early phase imaging, particularly in patients under 50, will only scan the kidneys. And of course, when you want to do the entire um, uh, excretory phase, you just don't do the kidneys only, but you need to do the whole urinary tract. So again, how we select areas of coverage will indeed vary. Excretory phase essentially always is the entire abdomen, from above the kidneys through the base of the bladder. Now in terms of protocols, since we're going to do 3D imaging, we always use thin sections. And whether it's arterial phase, or venous phase, or respiratory phase, I've shown you before how we like to use 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5 millimeters. And that works very nicely, and that's our protocol. Now let's focus specifically on CTRography. Now a lot's been written, and if you go back, let's say, six or seven years and look at some of the articles, the techniques were very variable. Sometimes people were giving Lasix, which is something you probably don't want to do because it increases the risk of sin. Some people were doing supine and prone. Some people were doing supine, prone, and oblique. Some people were getting uh, eight sequences, all sorts of different things. People were using pressure paddles, all sorts of different applications. The study became incredibly difficult, incredibly complicated, and had incredible radiation doses when you look at some of the uh, protocols in the literature. We tend to make things a little bit simpler at Hopkins. Our protocol is pretty simple. You really hydrate the patient well, at least 1,000 cc's additional within 20 minutes prior to the study. 
kind of making it like an ultrasound examination. You really want to distend the patient's bladder, distend the calyces, and have this patient have a large water load on pl in place. So when you do give IV contrast, you really get good excretion and good distension. Of course, it also helps with prevent sin. The last thing you want is a dehydrated patient, but we want this patient really full of fluid. As I mentioned, uh, three to four cc's injection is typical. And depending on the application, the delay time is four to eight minutes. Probably five is our most common. If a patient's being evaluated for UPJ, I'll wait eight minutes. The reason I don't like more than eight minutes is the contrast gets very dense within the calyces. And in that situation, you can get artifact and the images look really crummy on the 3D mapping or even on the axial imaging. Now you can say, what if the patient's obstructed? But you know, for my VPs, if the patient's obstructed, it could take 30, 60, 90 minutes or more to get the uh, kidney opacified. And we can't wait that long. It seems kind of silly to do that. But also remember, as I'll show you in this lecture, that when you're obstructed, you have a dilated ureter and you have a dilated renal pelvis and you have a beautiful contrast media, which is urine, for looking for pathology. So I don't really worry about that. It's very rare I'll ever get uh, later scans or bring someone back for it. A key thing in terms of how we do these studies is how we look at the images, the whole idea of data visualization. It's not enough to look at axial images alone. We need to look at coronals, often uh, sagittals, and surely 3D imaging, particularly volume rendering, but also MIP. Now, in terms of success, people always ask, how often can you get the ureters opacified? How often you get the renal pelvis well opacified down to the bladder? Well, when you look at this article by Satomi Kawamoto from Hopkins, um, here we said opacification complete in 57% and nearly complete in 38%, which means 95% of the time we essentially had really, really good studies. So again, this becomes very important. So here's some examples. Well, you can see when you do 3D volume rendering, you get beautiful examples of the calyces and renal pelvis. And you can see that you can take this and actually change the presentation with a negative display to really look inside the ureter and calyces. Another example, a little bit of more fullness in the pelvis and calyceal systems, and you can see the ureter. Now, in this case, the proximal left ureter is not as well seen as one would like, but again, it's important to recognize that you're not always going to see the entire ureter, but you will in the majority of cases. Another example, here's a patient non-contrast CT, scarring right kidney, okay, right kidney smaller than left. Here we go on to the cortical medullary phase scarring you see it very nicely there and here we go down to the uh, cortical medullary phase coronal view there's scarring and here it is in the axial view but really when you want to appreciate it look what happens when you go to the 3d imaging look how nicely you see the partial duplication of the collecting system on the right side you see a little bit of the blunting of calyces you see the duplication of the ureter all the way down toward the bladder and one of the things we can do that works very nicely in our experience is you can use the automated bone subtraction. Bone typically doesn't bother me. It's good landmarks. But sometimes the ureters aren't as well seen when they cross the uh, SI joints or across the sacrum, for example. And urologists do love these images. It looks like, you know, subtraction IVPs. And look at the beauty of that set of images. So again, minimal calyceal dilatation on the right, a thinning of the cortex, smaller kidney duplication of collecting system, very nicely visualized on this example. Again, a very nice CTRography. 
Another case, just to give you an example. Here's a patient, cystic lesion left kidney with rim calcification. Here it is on arterial phase imaging. Uh, you can see the rim calcification, but the lesion doesn't enhance. And here it is on, this, on the um, CT urograms. Look how nicely you can see the calcifications. Look how nicely uh, you can see the function of the left kidney. Uh, very nicely visualized. And look how nicely you see the ureters. Here's just a great example where you see the ureters in their entirety. You can see the image on your right, volume rendering with a soft rendering. Very, very nice visualization. Now, those are really nice examples. Let me show you one pitfall. Here's a case with hydronephrosis. Look at the calyces to the right kidney. The left kidney looks good, the ureter looks good, but the right's obstructed. And I'll show you a few more images of the right renal pelvis. Now, what you don't really appreciate here, we know it's obstructed, and it looks like it's obstructed in the region of the pelvis. But what you don't appreciate here is actually the renal pelvis on the right is not really fully distended because the calyces are so dilated that when you look at the axial images, you basically have a layering effect. So it's very important to recognize this because you can miss many things anteriorly. So what you want to do is, when you're waiting for delayed images, have the patient roll on the table. And then what you do is you get better filling. You get better mixing of contrast, and you won't have this error because look at look what you could potentially miss if you're not really distending uh, the calyces and not opacifying them. So again, rolling the patient is a great idea. Mix up the contrast, very, very simple idea. Now, another example. Uh, a good definition of the, of the calyces bilaterally, good definition of the duplication of the calyces, nicely shown in that example. Now, look at this case. Stone in the renal pelvis on the right, not a very large stone, it's in the three to four millimeter range. Maybe the pelvis is mildly prominent. There it is in the proximal ureter. So again, nicely shown, non-contrast CT. And then here we go to contrast CT. Early phase imaging, no delayed function. There's the stone. Now let's look at it in 3D and you can see very nicely the pelvis, the calyces. You can see there's no true obstruction. I'll look at this image in multiple perspectives. We'll rotate. I removed the bone. I isolated the uh, CT urogram, showing it very nicely in a number of different perspectives. But what I then can do is, which I showed you an example before, I can reverse the ramp on the volume rendering and now I'm looking inside the ureter, and at that point, I can actually see where the stone is. So again, post-processing is very helpful. Now, I mentioned in the technique portion a few moments ago that we just can't wait forever for the pelvis or calyces or ureter to fill in, but I mentioned that urine's a great contrast agent. Here's an example, duplicated upper pole calyx, beautiful example, that water lily sign, which you'll see right there. Now, no surprise that you can wait, but that renal pelvis portion, that ureter is not going to pacify, but look how dilated the ureter is. You can see it coming into the bladder, and we follow it down a little further. It's coming very medial. It's a uh, uh, ectopic location, but you can see that when you look back to see the course of the ureter, look how nicely you can see it. So a dilated ureter with urine, after you give IV contrast, really is a very good well opacified structure. So if you did have obstruction, in this case it was an ectopic ureterocele, but if you did have a stone, if you did have a tumor, you're going to see it. So I, I really don't worry about coming back in 30 minutes or 60 minutes. We don't need to do that. 
3D allows us to define the urine without any contrast. And just think about it like a small bowel obstruction. You're looking for transitions. Another example, this patient has um, right hydronephrosis and hydrourinary. You can see very nicely here, look at the dilated pelvis, look at the dilated ureter, and you see how at the arrow, that higher density structure, that's the cause of obstruction. And when I rotate that image, you can see it very nicely. What you're looking at is a tumor of the distal third of the ureter. Now, easy to recognize there, but look how hard it is to see the transition if you're only looking at axial imaging. Again, not an issue with not having contrast in the ureter. Or another example, here's a patient with obstruction of the right kidney, delayed function, look at the cortical medullary interface right compared to left, and we track it down, and sure enough, here's the patient's stone. Interestingly, when you go back a few moments later, that stone caused pilocinus extravasation, a very impressive appearance if you haven't seen it before, but uh, that is really not going to be an issue. So pilocinus extravasation, very, very nicely shown in this example. Um, so again, really good visualization using the full sequence of images. Now, what we'll do then is let's look at some specific issues. Let's look at transitional cell carcinoma. I'll tell you what I'll do is, let me give you just a couple points about transitional cell carcinoma, then we'll take a break and come back next time. So transitional cell carcinoma, obviously it's usually hematuria as a presentation, about 10% of renal tumors, often uh, uh, multifocal in location, bladder and ureter and contralateral kidney. Patients typically are older. Um, the multifocal nature at presentations under 2%. It's more common in males than females and it's more common in smokers. It's also more common in patients who've had histories of analgesic abuse, chemical carcinogens, psychophosphamide therapy, and heavy caffeine consumption. Uh, transitional cell carcinomas can be very classic in appearance. Other times, they're really not so classic. Uh, when they're large, particularly, they can look like renal cell carcinomas, and lymphoma, and metastasis, and even XGP. Now, there's been several articles written about transitional cell carcinomas, and I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we stop right here, and we'll pick it up next time with part two. And with that, I wish you a great day.